You are listening to Faith Church's sermon from this week. We are a church that is committed to loving Jesus for life and loving others to life. We hope that this message encourages you to follow Jesus with your whole heart. So, for the past few weeks, Pastor Brett has been doing an excellent job going through the Lord's Prayer and teaching on what the Lord's Prayer meant. The first week we talked about um, what it means for God's name to be hallowed, that he is Jehovah Jireh, that he is the one that provides for us, and that we are to honor his name and to revere his name. And then last week, um, Pastor brought an amazing sermon about the idea of God's will being done, and that God's will being done isn't just something for us to pray for, but it's actually for something for us to do, that it's not something that is just in heaven, but God asks us and prays that we have the indwelling of the Holy Spirit to move, work in such a way that the Holy Spirit will empower us to have God's will done on earth as it is in heaven. And today, as Pastor Brent talked about last week, we come to the first personal request in the Lord's Prayer. And it, it's something that's kind of interesting. We ask for our daily bread. And we're not talking about those little, you know, pamphlets that you get in the foyer of some churches, or we're not talking about an email that you get. We're talking about something that actually has uh, historical significance that dates back a while, an idea of, you know, getting physical bread to feed your body. And in the idea of getting bread, there is an idea of a breadwinner, for every family has a breadwinner, whether it is one person, or whether it's two people, or whether it's a group, or, or just one person, every family has somebody that is a breadwinner. And, you know, a little bit earlier in time, would be the one that physically money for the family, that provides them the means for them to go out and get bread to feed the family. Now it looks a little bit different, Right? Our breadwinners today are the ones that can pay for car payments. They're the ones that can pay for tuition. They're the ones that can pay for our myriad of other things. And so they're actually the ones that provide for the family unit as a whole. And regardless of whether it's one person or two people, the breadwinner is of utmost importance because everyone in the family is dependent on them. You know, how many of you guys know the tax season's coming up? Jesus says, pay your taxes, guys. <laughs> don't do tax evasion. But when you go to taxes, you claim dependence because there are people that are breadwinners and then there are people that are breadwinners. And so it's of utmost, breadwinners are very important people because they provide for the needs of the dependents. And breadwinning is actually a harder endeavor than most people realize. Work is pretty hard. And I realized this me and Pastor Brett were talking in the office as I was constructing this, and I, I was saying to him, I was like, my resume is so weird. Because as I was thinking about bread, I was like, I used to be a nonprofit bread delivery guy, um, and I used to fill in for people, uh, this one guy, when he was on vacations and stuff, and I w used to actually physically deliver bread and be like some sort of a breadwinner. Right now, I'm like in the intermediate stage. Like, I'm not really a breadwinner, but I make money. I'm a dependent, but I, I pay for some of my own stuff. I'm, I'm getting there. Um, but at this point, I was a freelance bread delivery guy. And as we're talking about bread, I wanted to show you this experience of 
what it's like to physically give bread, what it takes to put bread on the shelves as you are metaphorically making bread. So what people don't often realize in delivering bread is that the process starts at four in the morning. You leave the house to deliver bread at four in the morning. You guys, you guys don't understand. You leave the house at four in the morning. You're not waking up at four in the morning. Four in the morning, it's still dark outside. Four in the morning, if it's summer, it's still cold. So you, you get your little uniform on, which is like, you know, just some shorts and a t-shirt. You get in your car and you drive to the bread factory because none of the grocery stores are open at 4.30. You get there at around 4, uh, you get to the factory at around 4.30. And the first thing that you do is you put all these stacks of bread onto a truck. You move it over onto this little lift, and then you stack them all onto the truck, and then you count the stacks as you're going. So then you know, okay, there's like nine, you know, loaves in a stack, or like in a, in a rung, and there are ten rungs in a stack, so there is about 90 pieces of bread on this stack, and you just put them all up, and then you look for what you had previously counted the day before for what store needs how much bread. You do that at 4.30 in the morning, Okay. Then, as you do that, you're counting each package of bread, and then you write out the invoices for the stores. And then, at 5 in the morning, you drive to the first store. And as you drive to every store, you do a little price gun on each little piece of bread, and then you... Because, for and, and what a lot of people don't understand is that there are commercial bread companies, but I wasn't working for commercial bread. I was working for a bread route, which means that somebody leased out this, this area to me. Um, for the company. So I had to stock the shelves myself. So I drove it, I stocked the bread into the, into the shelves, and I would rotate it every once in a while as well. I would go back to the stores after the delivery process had been done. So, you know, give or take a couple of hours, and then you would, you would rotate. And so, honestly, once you're done with delivery, that's around three o'clock, but then you have to go back to the first store that you've been to, and rotate the stock because the people that go and get their bread in the morning have already bought that bread. So you have to rotate the stock more. And so by the time you're done, you're done at around 5.30, 6 o'clock in the afternoon. So you are working from 4 in the morning to 5 p.m. And you're tired. You're exhausted. You don't want to work anymore. For the breadwinners in the congregation... Just imagine you're having a really long day and you're tired. You woke up at 4 in the morning. You're done at 5.30. You get home. What's the first thing that you want to do? Eat. <laughs> you want to eat. You want to take a nap. You want to get in the recliner. You don't want to talk to anybody. And so this is something that I typically do, um, especially after sermons. This is something I'll be tempted to do before we go to the Royals tonight. Is just slip into a recliner and be like, okay, Rach, I'll talk to you in an hour. Um, and just kind of slowly drift off. And as we get into our cozy little areas, we close our eyes, we roll around. Maybe, maybe our eyes are open. Maybe it's, you know, Sunday and it's football season and you turn on your favorite sports team and you watch it as the Eagles lose, you start to fall asleep. I'm an Eagles fan, so I can say it. And as, and as you start to fall asleep, you, all of a sudden you hear... Oh my gosh, I can't believe we have to buy generic. Why do we have all this generic stuff? Why can't we ever buy the good stuff? 
you hear, but dad, Jimmy's dad said that he got this new toy. Why can't I have the new toy? What do you mean I can't go across the state to go see my friend, that there's not a The last thing a breadwinner wants to hear about when they are tired and, that, and they are weary is the grumbles of the dependents in the house. You don't want to hear the people that are depending on you telling you that what you're bringing in is not enough. Because for you, you just worked from 4 in the morning till 5.30 in the afternoon. I don't want to hear anything about name brand. I want to hear about gratitude. But the dependents have a very important job too. Breadwinners are not the only thing that are important. In fact, dependents are very, very important. And all dependents may not be the ones bringing home the physical money or physical bread. They are what make the house a home. Without the dependents, they're is no love in the home. Without the dependence, there is relatively no attentiveness to the people that are, are doing things. Without dependence, there is no service. I'll give you an example. I'll use Pastor Brett because I have a live mic and <laughs> you can't stop me. <laughs> Pastor Brett has constantly talked about how he loves playing basketball. And after a long day, He'll share stories with me in the office about how after a long day, him and Freddie will play basketball or they'll practice dribbling. Or after a, after a sermon, is, he just preached and he's in the recliner and he's, he's kind of nodding and off and serenity cuddles up next to him. That's the love of a dependent. That's the love that makes a house a home. That is the value that a dependent gives. And, and breadwinners find that so amazing. Something that I do, I'll pick on myself. I, I'm, you know, sometimes I can be loving, sometimes I can be a little cold. Um, but something that I often do with my parents is I, I'll ask them how their day was or what they did. The attentiveness of a dependent, it's so important to ask how your day is when they've been working from four in the morning till 5.30. They want to hear how your day was. And you see countless stay-at-home parents juggle watching children, cooking meals, keeping the floor and stuff clean. You could argue that this is even provision and breadwinning in its own sense. But in the sense of them being a dependent, this is the service of a dependent. The love, the attentiveness, and the service of a dependent are three things that is so important. And you breadwinners right now are feeling pretty comfortable, pretty happy. Okay, Pastor Landon understands. He knows I wake up at 4 in the morning and I get done at 5.30 in the afternoon. He knows that after this entire process, all I want to do is lay down, have my wife come over, give me a hug, give me a kiss, be attentive, ask me about my day, and then serve me a nice warm meal as I fall to sleep. But while I am encouraging that, I also want to encourage you to not forget that love, attentiveness, and service is for dependence. And ultimately, God is the breadwinner. And ultimately, we are all dependents. This is the first slide. Ultimately, God 
is the breadwinner. And we are all dependents. And today we're going to be taking a look at what that means for us to do in response to that statement. Ultimately, God is the breadwinner and ultimately we are dependents. And in Matthew 6, 11, it says, today, give us today our daily bread. So when Jesus is teaching the disciples how to pray, he's teaching them this very principle that we just said, that ultimately God is and we are all good. But he's teaching us this using a historical and prophetic illusion. He's teaching this to people, knowing that what he's saying has historical significance, and they know that, but they don't know yet the prophetic significance. Now you're saying, well, what does that even mean? Well, Jesus says, give us today our daily bread for a very specific reason. Why does Jesus say it? If he was talking about money, if he was talking about providing money, then why say bread, right? Why not just say, give us today the money we need to buy bread? If Jesus was talking about, you know, food or drink, why doesn't he say water? Obviously, that would be a good connection to him. He gives living water. God gives living water through Christ. So why not water? If I got up here and I prayed and I said, God, give us liberty or give us death, you would know that I'm praying for freedom, right? But you would also know that I am making an historical illusion, that I'm pointing back to the Revolutionary War, right? Since we're in this context, the words give me liberty or give me death send us back into a certain time of our lives. And when Jesus says, give us today our daily bread, it sends us back to this time in Exodus 16, where God physically provided daily bread for the community of Israel. And later he's going to talk a little bit about what this means um, prophetically, but we're going to be spending a, a, a good amount of time in Exodus 16 this morning. So if you have your Bibles with you, turn to Exodus 16. And we are going to be reading about this historical illusion of what might Jesus be saying when he says, give us this day our daily bread. Why would he say it exactly this way? Why would he make this illusion? What's so important about this story to what Jesus is saying? It says in Exodus 16, verse 2 to 4a, the first part of 4. In the desert, the whole community grumbled against Moses and Aaron. The Israelites said to him, If only we had died by the Lord's hand in Egypt. There sat pots of meat, and we ate all the food that we wanted. But you had brought us out into the desert to starve this entire assembly to death. Then the Lord said to Moses, I will rain down bread from heaven for you. The people are to go out each day and to gather enough for that day. So here we see that the people of Israel are being just like the complainers that we hear about earlier, right? You know, God had provided them a way out of Egypt. He'd, he'd given them these ten plagues. Not that this war got out, but essentially God is deserving of a little bit of love, a little bit of attentiveness, and a little bit of service. He had won them a victory. But still they sit there and they complain. And I don't want it to be misconstrued. Because there is a common misreading of this text that says that they are currently starving, that they are watching their brothers and sisters go down. That's not what happens. What happens is, is that they're actually going through a time where they are preparing for starvation. 
that they did not, they have their livestock. Nobody is dying yet, but they are hungry. They are hungry, and they're saying, we are going to starve. In the Enduring Word commentary, it says, a common misread into this text would suggest that the people were complaining that they're dying of starvation, but this is most likely not true. It is more likely that they're transitioning into a time of hunger that was more than what they had in Egypt. No famine is recorded in these books, nor any death of starvation at this point in time. Instead, they were expecting to starve rather than expecting for God to provide. So this is like the complainers that we were just talking about. Rather than being grateful for what God had given them, they are grumbling to God saying, God, Egypt's dad, Israel saying, God, Egypt's dad, Pharaoh, gave them pots of meat. Why can't we have pots of meat? And they had livestock, they had food. But what God does is so interesting. Amidst the doubt in God's ability, amidst the doubt that God can do what God does best, God is showing that God is the breadwinner because he can be, because he's capable, and because he desires to be. That even when they doubt him, he is the breadwinner because our doubts don't define him his ability. He can do it, and he desires to do it. Now think about this. Who else could provide for Israel at this point? This will, this will show us why God is ultimately the breadwinner. Who could provide for Israel? Well, you would think their leaders, Moses and Aaron, would probably be able to provide for Israel. You know, they're the ones that are leading them. They're the ones that brought them out of Egypt. A lot of the people that were down in God might say, well, you know what? Forget about God. What about Moses and Aaron? I mean, they were the ones that kind of parted the sea and did all the stuff, the cool stuff with the snakes and stuff. But later in this chapter, they profess that they are woefully ill-equipped to even handle the grumbles of the people, to even handle the complaints, much less provide food for a huge nation of people. They could not do it. They are not capable. No other Israelite is capable. Well, who else shows up in the passage that might be able to provide for the Israelites. Pharaoh. Now, certainly Pharaoh has the opportunity. Certainly Pharaoh has these pots of meat that they are pining after. But why might not Pharaoh help them? It might have something to do with the fact that Israel's God just drowned their entire army. Something to do with the fact that there was plagues involved. Something to do with the fact that Pharaoh's son was killed. I doubt that he would want to help. He might be capable of helping, but that desire is not there. And this is true for us today. God is still able to provide for us, and God still desires to provide for us. Yet how often do we look towards anything else to be the breadwinner of our lives? God has to be the chief breadwinner. And sure, we get our physical bread through other means but it's God providing in those means. Sure, we get physical bread from the government, from our spouse, from our family, from our friends, but they can only provide that so long as the Lord tarries and gives them a job, so long as God allows them to be successful, so long as God allows the government to be fruitful, so long as God allows the breadwinner of your household to be making money. That is the only way that they are capable. They are not infinitely capable. They are finitely capable. And that finite capability comes from God. Now, what about the willing? Now, this shouldn't be 
any coincidence that we're talking about Pharaoh because our governments, our spouses, our families, and our friends, they're committed to us. They love us. They want us to do well. But even the most strongest relationship that I mentioned here, a spouse, a a bind by God, family members, father and son, mother and daughter, sometimes the desire to provide goes away because we are all sinful because it's not within our character to be selfless it's within our character to be selfish if and and perfect example is i'm a big boy right you know i I eat if i can get one more scoop of mac and cheese and that means julia gets one less scoop of mac and cheese i'm gonna get one more scoop of mac and cheese but that's not what a desiring breadwinner wants. Somebody that desires to help you is willing to go that extra mile, is willing to sacrifice. Keep that in mind. God is the breadwinner because he can be the breadwinner, because he desires to be the breadwinner. And those two things are infinite, and they never change. Now let's continue on with Exodus 16, 4b. To nine, It says, Then the Lord said to Moses, I will rain down bread from heaven for you. The people are going to go out each day and gather enough for that day. In this way, I will test them to see whether they follow my instructions. On the sixth day, they are to prepare what they bring in. And that is to be twice as much as they gather on the other days. So Moses and Aaron said to all the Israelites, In the evening you will know that the Lord who has brought you out of Egypt... And in the morning you will see the glory of the Lord because he has heard your grumbling against him. Who are we that you should grumble against us? Moses also added. You will know that the Lord, you know that it was the Lord when he gives you meat to eat in the evening and all the bread you want in the morning because he has heard your grumbling against him. Who are we? We are not, you are not grumbling against us, but against the Lord. Then Moses told Aaron, say to the entire Israelite community, Come before the Lord, for he has heard your grumbling. Moses repeats something three times in this passage. That God hears their grumbling. That God hears, God, I want the meat pots. I don't want the desert. Get it, desert? Dessert. But I think what it's also saying is God is the breadwinner because he hears us. And God is the breadwinner because he encourages his family. Now, I think that this is something that is so crucial but often gets overlooked, that God does hear your prayers, even when they're not answered the way that you want them to. This is something that we often take for granted because of our emotion, because it might not look the way we want it to. We often doubt that God can do things or that God wants to do things. But when we overcome that doubt, when we overcome what we just talked about and we think, oh, God can and God wants to, we doubt that God hears us. Well, if God can do this and he wants to do this, then he must not be hearing that I want this. He must not be hearing me. But think of it this way. What that actually looks like is something like sending a tweet or a Facebook message to a huge um, star, celebrity. We'll go with a safe, safe pick and say Hugh Jackman. Everybody loves Hugh Jackman. You can't not like Hugh Jackman. 
Hugh Jackman was the guy that played Wolverine. He's in a couple of musicals, and he does a lot of cool stuff. Just a really genuinely nice guy. Donates a lot of money to charity, and he has millions of dollars. One of the highest paid actors. If I send out a tweet to Hugh Jackman saying, give me $10, please, I really want $10, so then me and Rachel can go to McDonald's after church, Hugh Jackman is capable, and he's a nice guy. He surely would want to do that. It would be no skin off of his back to do that. But the thought that he would see my tweet, the thought that he would see my message, if I even called his agent and went that far and said, I really need this $10 so I can go to McDonald's, if I even did that, the thought that that would get back to Hugh Jackman is so improbable, it's almost impossible. It's not like that with God. It's actually the opposite. The fact that God would not hear you is impossible. The honest, the, and honestly, this is how the Israelites probably viewed God. They viewed him like Hugh Jackman and not like God. They thought all their complaints to God were only heard by Moses and Aaron. But God hears everything. And God loves his people, and he listens to their requests. And God is capable to give us everything we need. And he hears our requests, but God goes a step further. And he uses our requests to encourage us to be better, to be more like him. God is more than capable to fly a five-course meal into every Israelite person's tent and to lay it on their belly so then they can eat in comfort but that's not what he does, because that's not their place. They're not the breadwinners. They're the dependents. And what are dependents supposed to be? They're to love. They're to be attentive. And they're to serve. So when we pray for a daily bread, why doesn't it come in through a window? Because that's what a bad provider would do. A bad provider provides for a person's wants without even taking into consideration their needs. But a good provider provides for a person's needs and supplies for their wants as needed. They wanted meat and they wanted bread. So God rained from heaven meat and bread, but he didn't blow it into their houses. Because God knows what his people need physically, but he knows that the family of God will not work if the people do not know how to love like he does, does not know how to serve like he does, and is not attentive to the needs of each other like he is. I mean, look at Noah. Look at the Tower of Babel. These are civilizations where people were so consumed with themselves. They were capable people. They desired things. But they did not know how to love. They did not know how to serve. They weren't attentive to the needs of each other. And because of that, God caused chaos in the Tower of Babel. People couldn't understand each other. They couldn't work because they didn't look for each other's needs. They just looked towards a common goal. What about Noah's time? A time when God found only Noah and his family worth saving. And then he saved them and then wiped out each and every person. Because he knew that they, wouldn't, they did not know how to love, how to serve, how to be attentive. That they were sinful and that he needed to start over. This is why God makes the Israelites gather their food. He wants the people to provide for each other as he provides for them. Now think about this. When okay, they need to go out and they need to, and they need to gather their food and bring it back. You think, well, surely if there are lepers later, surely if there are disabled people later in the Bible when Jesus is around then surely they still exist for the Israelites. Surely there are people that are not capable of doing this. They're dependents. 
Obviously, the babies, those with disabilities, elderly, may not have been able to gather, but they learned to be attentive. They learned to love, and they learned to serve each other. They learned to be proper dependents. And what do the other people learn to be? They learn to be like God by being providers for those people, by taking care of those people. When we ask for God to provide our daily bread, sometimes he'll give us more than our share of daily bread, so then we can give it to those who depend on us. Sometimes when, God, when we ask God for grace, his grace abounds so that we might show grace to others. So that the grace and the gospel can be real to people. It's not just some fairy tale book, but it's something that has changed lives. And sometimes people are more receptive to bread coming from a friend than bread coming to what they perceive as a fairy tale. But only when we reach out can they see the truth that it's not a fairy tale but ultimately that God is the breadwinner and that God is the breadwinner because he cares, because he hears us, because he encourages us to be better. And so in Exodus 16, we see the last reason why God is the breadwinner. It says Exodus 16, 10 to 13, while Aaron was speaking to the whole Israelite community, they looked toward the desert and there was the glory of the Lord appearing in the cloud. The Lord said to Moses, I have heard the grumbling of the Israelites. Tell them, at twilight you will eat meat, and in the morning you will be filled with bread. Then you will know that I am the Lord your God. That, e- that, that evening quail came down and covered the camp, and in the morning there was a layer of dew around the camp. Now there was the glory of the Lord appearing in a cloud, he says, right? The glory of the Lord is something huge. People die when they see that. So for the glory of the Lord to be revealed, it's not revealed unveiled, but it's also revealed in his actions as well. It's revealed physically, as he says, through the cloud, but it's also revealed in what he does, in the fact that that evening, quail did come. That morning, dew that turned into the bread that he was talking about did come. God is the breadwinner because he wants his people to see his power to see his glory, and to see his mercy. That's the next slide. God is the breadwinner because he wants his people to see his power, to see his glory, and to see his mercy. When the story began, the Israelites had so many doubts about who God was. They doubted that he could provide for them. And then when they were proven wrong that he, couldn't provide, or that he could provide, they doubted that he would provide for them. If they, and then he doubted that God could hear their complaints, could hear their prayers. And ultimately, this is a doubt of who God is. But we know through what we read that ultimately God is the breadwinner, and we are what? Dependence. And while it's important that God's people know that God is capable and that God cares and that God ultimately wants his people to know who he is, it's also important for us to know that this is the entire purpose of Scripture, to reveal who God is to us, to provide for us, to hear our cries and to save us. It's to reveal who God is and to teach us to respond with love, with attentiveness, with service. The Israelites responded to very, with various degrees. If you keep reading Exodus 16, which I encourage you to after the service if you want a little bit more, you'll see how some of the Israelites gathered way more than they were supposed to. And then it rotted, and it got maggots in it, and they couldn't eat what they had gathered. 
You also saw that people neglected to gather. They went out to gather on the day of the Sabbath, and there was nothing for them to gather. See, there are people who doubted and disobeyed. But what does this mean for us? When Jesus told us to pray for our daily bread, he wanted us to bring our needs to God because God hears us, because God can do something about it, because he will do something about it, and because he will use it to reveal who he is to us and give us an opportunity to respond. And as Jesus said this in the Lord's Prayer, think about what came first. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. God will provide. Jehovah Jireh is the stated holy identity that Pastor Brett talked about. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, that God will make that possible, like Pastor Brett talked about. Then he said, give us this day our daily bread, that he'll give us what he needs. So the first two parts are about who God is and honoring that God can provide and that God will allow you to do his will. And then he says, give us our daily bread. And then after that, he says, forgive us our debts. Forgive us our trespasses. Essentially, forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. This is new. This is controversial. This is interesting. The forgiveness of sins is something that Jewish people are very, very skeptical of and very, very, it's, it's something that there needs to be a special kind of person that can provide that. And could it be that Jesus has placed the request for daily bread where he did to show that God was about to provide for his people the same way that he did before? Oracle illusion, showing, hey, this is what God did before, but it's also a point forward. And maybe, maybe he did that. Would that be a stretch? Maybe that is a stretch. Maybe Pastor Landon's crazy. Maybe, you know, Pastor Landon wanted to be an English major and he's just saying, like, you know, well, the curtain's blue because he's sad but really maybe the curtain's just blue, right? But that's not the case because Jesus himself says it. In John 6, 32, when the Pharisees ask what the work of God is, Jesus says, the work of God is this, to believe in the one he has sent. So they asked him, what sign then will you give that we may see and believe you? What will you do? Our ancestors ate the man in the wilderness. As it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. Jesus said to them, Very truly I tell you, it is not Moses who has given you bread from heaven, but it is the Father who gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is the bread that comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Sir, they said, always give us this bread. They're still thinking about Moses. They're still thinking about getting that dew. They're still thinking about getting that quail. They're thinking, man, if God could do that again, don't we think that sometimes? Man, if God could walk on water again, man, if, if God could make food rain from heaven, man, if God could just make our gas tanks full every day. He said, sir, give, always give us this bread. And Jesus declared, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry, and whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. But as I told you, you have seen me, and still you do not believe All those the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me I will never drive away. For I have come down from heaven, not to do my will, but to do the will of him who sent me. This is the will of him who sent me. Doesn't this sound like the Lord's Prayer? That the hallowed Father has a will, 
and that he is sending bread to do that will. For my Father's will is that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him shall have eternal life, and I will raise them up on that last day. God is providing again. But not just again, but once and for all. This is the gospel as revealed in Exodus, as revealed in John, and as revealed in the Lord's Prayer. And that's what I'm inviting you to do this morning. I'm inviting you to come and to taste and see the identity of God, that God is saying, that Christ is saying that he is the bread that is sent from heaven, that he is the true bread, that those who come and take and taste and see who Christ is, will be saved, that they will provide. God will provide, but not just for your physical needs. Don't be like the Pharisees and say, man, I really just want my physical needs met. But Jesus is saying it's more than just what Moses said. This isn't a sequel. This is an entirely new way of provision. The identity of God is displayed through Jesus Christ who's given to you given so that you might know the power and the glory and the mercy of God, but it's also given so that you might grow, that you might be encouraged, just like how the Israelites were encouraged to go out and seek, to go out and pick up that bread and to take it back, to go out and pick up that meat and to take it back for those who are dependent. It's given so that you might use that same power, that you might learn to be obedient, you might learn to be loving, attentive, and to serve. And you have a choice when you have this bread from heaven, and this will be on the screen. When God sends you bread from heaven, you can respond with love, with the attentiveness and service, or you can respond with hate and indifference and disobedience. Now, if you don't know who Christ is, the first step is coming and tasting and seeing and trying out for yourself. But this isn't a message just for those who don't know. This is a message for everybody. This is a message of obedience. This is a message that says God has given you a gift, that God has rained bread from heaven down and has put it on a cross and has crucified it for you, allowing you to be fulfilled, allowing you to have bread, have everything that you need. What are you going to do with that? Because our God is not a God that just gives that for you and gives fire insurance so that you can be okay, that you can eat bread to the full and then with big bellies enter heaven. No, God doesn't want any big bellies in heaven. What God wants is he wants you to take that bread that you have and obey, to love, to be attentive, to serve just as Jesus had shown, just how God had shown in Exodus just how Jesus had shown throughout his earthly ministry, just how the Holy Spirit leads you now and leads the church. Imperfect people in obedience. And so as we take a journey to the cross, we are going to be doing something a little interesting. But I want us to all think... As we take this journey... How will I obey? How will I take what God has given me and be loving? How will I take what God has given me and be attentive? How will I take what God has given me 
and serve one another and bring them closer to the truth, the truth that fulfills, the truth that when you eat of it, you will never be hungry, the truth that when you drink of it, you will never be thirsty, the truth that has saved me, that has saved Pastor Brett, that has saved numerous people, and that is capable and that desires to save you as well each and every day. So as I prepare this song for you guys, just come up and place that obedience on the cross. But don't leave it there. As you place it there, let that be a testimony that the bread that you are encountering at that cross is not something that you take for yourself, but you place it there as an act that you are going to go forth after placing it and do what you have said that you are going to do. Thank you for listening to this message. We hope it encouraged you in your walk with Christ. You can find out more about Faith Church at wearefaithec.com. 